Let's, let's keep that going. Let's keep that going. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we get the opportunity to come into your throne room at the feet of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and worship our mighty fortress. We love you, Lord. Oh, we ask you to change us today. Change us into your image. Let us walk out of here differently than we walked in. For your glory. In his name, amen. Good job, Ben. This morning I said a prayer after that, and I said, good job, Ben, and they were gone. I thought we, they got raptured and we didn't. You know. <laughs> so, but they're still here. I want to read you something here. Most people don't know that back in 1912, Hellman's mayonnaise was, was manufactured in England. In fact, the Titanic was carrying 12,000 jars of the condiment scheduled for delivery in Veracruz, Mexico. This was to be the next port of call, you know, after the stop in New York. It would have been the largest shipment of mayonnaise ever delivered to Mexico. But we all know the great ship did not make it to New York. It hit an iceberg and the cargo was lost forever. The people of Mexico who were crazy about mayonnaise and eagerly awaiting its delivery were tremendously unhappy at their loss. At their loss. Their anguish was so great they declared a national day of mourning which is still observed today. The National Day of Mourning occurs every year on May 5th and is known, of course, as Cinco de Mayo. De Mayo. I, I had you going for just a little while, but then you were giving up on me over here. <laughs> oh, boy. So happy Cinco de, de Mayo. <laughs> All right. Well, we're in this series on the 23rd Psalm. We are trying to get this into us. We're memorizing it. We're digging into it. We're trying to become a little more sheepish. I guess if you tell jokes like that, you become more sheepish. <laughs> All right. Well, each year there comes a time in the life of sheep where the grazing has left those summer pastures a little bare. And the shepherd must lead the flock up the mountain, up higher ground in order for new fields to be discovered. These journeys can be long and treacherous. There's poisonous plants along the path. There can be a, a difficult climbing, dangerous climbing. Wild animals can attack. The weather can turn at any time. For this reason, some shepherds don't lead their flocks into the mountains. They let them stay below in the fields, almost bare, and they let the flock learn how to live on less than enough to eat, but not the best shepherds. They take their flocks to higher ground, knowing that even though there's danger along the way, the journey is necessary in order for sheep to continue to grow, become healthy, to mature. Every mountain has its valleys, and the experienced shepherd knows which ones lead to those greener pastures. So he leads the flock in that path. The experienced shepherd knows what he's doing and he leads those sheep well. No doubt this is what David was thinking when he wrote today's verse. First, let's uh, recite verses one through three. 
see if you can do it without looking at the screen, but if, you, if you're new today, go ahead and use it. Let's do it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now let's do today's verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How'd you like that little girl? I love that. Thy wad and thy staff. I like that. You'll always remember that now. <laughs> Today's message, like he said, is on confidence. The confidence that we can have knowing that God, our shepherd, is with us. Even during the most difficult times of life, God is with us. So we're going to look at this verse phrase by phrase. Let's start off with this. Shadows bring perspective to our lives. They bring perspective. Without verse 4, Psalm 23 would be, I don't know, not very realistic, would it? it? The first three verses, when they're taken out of context, they paint an inaccurate, rosy picture of life. I have everything I need. I eat in green pastures and drink from still waters. I'm walking in a righteous pathway, and I'm giving glory to God at every second. I mean, come on. If Psalm 23 ended with that verse 3, then we would have every right to think life was all about a trip to the Riviera. All, all of life would be that way. And we're disappointed if we discover otherwise. But David didn't stop with verse 3. He included a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't use this phrase to suggest that it was something that may or may not happen. You know, he didn't say, if perhaps someday you should walk through a valley. He didn't say that. He, he used it in the present tense reality. He said, though I walk through the valley. This is one of the most important lessons for us to learn. You will, in fact, walk through the valley on various times in your life. Not because God has abandoned you, not because Christianity doesn't work, but because valleys are just a part of life, just the way it is. Jesus said that God gives sunlight to the evil and the good. He brings rain for the just and the unjust. That means that no one has a dark valley exemption. No one. We all walk through those valleys from one time to another. But here's what we should know. When you're walking with the shepherd, when you're walking with him, the dark valley always leads to higher ground. Always. I know people who have entered the valley and never left it. Just got stuck there. Maybe it was the death of a close loved one. It might be a failed relationship. Maybe a financial crisis, health issues, all kinds of things. These experiences definitely are dark valleys. They're hard times. But some people enter there and they just stay right there. They let the experience make them bitter, not better. They let it keep them from moving on. They say, if, that, if this is the best that God can do, then forget it. 
I just won't believe anymore. I just won't follow anymore. I'll just stay here with my pain and my anger. We all know that the valleys can be dark. We all know that. For example, when we face the death of someone close to us, it's not enough to say, well, I know we'll meet again someday in heaven. Um, Yes, that's the truth, but what about grieving? What about grieving? What what about that healthy question that that we have to feel like we got to get an answer to? How am I going to make it until I meet them in heaven again? How am I going to survive with this hole in my life? Even though we know we will, we still ask those questions. I won't pretend for a minute that the valley isn't dark. It isn't difficult. I won't pretend for a minute that I have an easy answer to the question. The question, why must this happen to me? I don't have an easy answer for that. I can only say that it happens to all of us. Every one of us. Some people get bogged down in the why questions. You know, why did things happen like they did in Boston or in New Jersey? Or why did my friend have to die? Or why did I have to lose my job? Why did my husband have to leave? I've never met anyone who could satisfactorily answer all the why questions. You just can't answer them all. But we can know how to answer this question. How should I respond? How should I get through this? What should I do? We can't explain why the Boston Marathon was the target of terrorism, but we do know how we should respond. We can't explain why a friend is going through a tough time, but we can demonstrate God's love and his compassion. And you may not understand why you must pass through the valley you're going through right now. But God can use it and you can use that valley to draw near to him. God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And valleys are one of the ways that happens. Rick Warren tells us that there are three things to remember about shadows. First thing he says is shadows are bigger than reality. Just like a five-foot-tall person can cast a 12-foot-long shadow. Our fear of the problem is always greater than the problem itself. He also says that shadows cannot hurt you. There's a difference between being run over by the shadow of a truck and being run over by the truck itself. Quite a big difference, right? Shadows are images with no substance. They can scare you, but they can't hurt you. And then he says this, I love this one. Shadows prove there's light somewhere. Isn't that good? The light of God will never disappear from your life. Don't look at the shadow. Turn around and face the light and the shadow ends up behind you. Look at that. I wish I came up with that one. That was good. Mountaintops would not exist without the valley of the shadows. They would just be plateaus. How boring. Life as a plateau, we wouldn't even recognize mountaintop experiences without the valleys. Shadows bring perspective. 
Second thing we should look at is that we need to get personal in our relationship with God. I mean, not just God's out there. I know about him. We need to get personal and know him. I will fear no evil is what it says here in this psalm. You know, I'm still learning that fear is a choice. It's a choice. I always thought it was just an emotional, an emotion that we can't control. And yet, how many times does the Bible tell us, fear not, do not be afraid, don't worry? How many times? If you saw the movie Facing the Giants, you know the answer to this question. 365 times. That means God is telling us every day of every year to not be afraid. It's going to be all right. More than once, Jesus said this, don't be afraid, only believe. He adds a dimension to this thought. When David says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, he's talking about the same thing. He's saying, I choose not to be afraid. Instead, I choose to believe. I've read a lot on uh, the, the psyche of remembering things and, and how the mind remembers. And um, they usually talk about how it's really impossible to, to concentrate on not doing something compared to a positive way. Like, like, see these double doors over here? Do not think about those doors. No, I said do not think about those doors. Do not think about those doors. You see what I mean? you got to replace it with something else. That's what David does here. He says, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to know that God is with me. Did you notice how David changed the pronouns in this verse? In the first three verses, he refers to the Lord as he. Now he says, for thou art with me, for you are with me. Changes it. And right here lies the secret of getting through that valley. You get personal in your relationship with God. Here's a little letter written by a theology student. He wrote, I was never very disciplined in my prayer life. I usually checked in once a week or so to say thanks to God and to ask for little favors, but my prayer life was no more than that. Then I went through a crisis with my family, and suddenly I was no longer checking in once a week. I was checking in every hour of every day. And I no longer thought of God merely in terms of creator or king eternal or Lord omnipotent. I started calling him father. And he became very real to me during these difficult days. He got personal. Yes, we grow through difficult times, but don't get hung up on the question, did God send this crisis so you or somebody else could learn a lesson or grow in faith? That goes back to that why question again, and that's not the point. The point is, when you go through the crisis, God is there to get you through it, to go through it with you, and you'll discover that God is not just the God of your religion. He's not just the God of Sunday morning. He's the God of every moment of every day of your life. It's true that God is an awesome God, but he's more. He's a personal God. He's a father and a friend 
He's a caring, gentle shepherd. And even when you go through the most difficult days of your life, you can be sure that he's right there with you. So get personal with him. Here's a third thing. We need to learn how to find comfort in God's protection. He's protecting us all the time. In David's day, shepherds carried two items. They had these items all the time with their long journeys with their flock. And, And each one had its own use. The rod could be used to correct sheep. Sometimes it was necessary. We learned last week how some sheep would pick on other sheep. Usually the big ones picking on the little ones. And, you know, even though they're having a little fun there, the shepherd would step in with the rod and use that rod to encourage the sheep to straighten up. You know, whack. (laughs) Straighten up. The shepherd's rod was also used to examine the sheep. Usually the, the other end of the rod, it's skinnier. Because of the sheep's long wool, it was hard to see in there if there was any kind of skin disease or any kind of injury. So he would use the rod to separate the wool and closely examine the sheep's skin. Philip Keller, the shepherd that we've been talking about, compares the shepherd's rod to the Word of God. That's the Bible. In the same way the shepherd would use the rod to examine underneath the sheep's wool, the Word of God examines our thoughts. The Bible examines our motives. That's why Paul said, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. It's useful for all kinds of things. The rod was also used for protection. When a predator approached the flock, anything from a lion or a bear to a snake, the shepherd would use that rod to defeat the attacker. David made reference to this when he got ready to fight Goliath. King Saul said, oh, you're just a boy. You can't fight that giant. And here's what David said. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. I understand you guys do a little bear hunting here in Perry County. How many of you went with a stick? David must have been a pretty tough cookie, you know. The rod was used for correction, yes. It it was used for examination, but it was all for the purpose of protection. God protects us. We can count on him to do it today. If you let him, he will correct you. I've heard people say, I don't like that vindictive part of God, you know, that he wants to punish you all the time. Some people who who disbelieve God, this is their whole premise. How could God be so mean to, to, they don't use the word correct, but punish is what they use. How could, this is out of love. He's not trying to punish us. He's trying to get us back on the path that we've wandered off. A good shepherd will not let his sheep wander into dangerous territory. He'll correct them when they need it. Even if it takes a little nudge or a stiff whack, he'll get us back on the right path. It's to protect us. Now, the shepherd also used a staff. This was different. The rod was a little heavier, a little thicker. 
the, uh, the staff was skinny, it was long, it had a curved end to it. And the staff was used to guide the sheep, to move them along, maybe left or right. It placed the, the crook of that, that staff and helped the sheep move, press it to their side. The shepherd would use the staff to catch sheep, pull him in. So it, maybe he would need to examine the sheep. Sheep can be timid. So, you know, they may see the shepherd coming and try to move away. He would use the staff to draw the timid or resistant sheep near. The shepherd also used the staff to rescue sheep if they fell off the side of a mountain or something like that or in, into a lake or a, a river. They could grab them, pull them back to safety. Now, here's what Keller compares the staff to. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. How he comforts us and gently leads us along the path. The Bible says that the Spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit, will guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides our lives. The Holy Spirit draws us nearer to God. Do you know we can't even become Christians without the Holy Spirit drawing us in? I mean, don't ever take any credit. Oh, one day I made that decision. Well, it was because the Spirit was drawing you in. Drawing you in. The Holy Spirit helps us when we fall down, picks us back up. As one of God's sheep, you can be sure that His rod and His staff his word and his spirit will comfort you in your journey. They will correct you, will protect you. They'll direct you in your walk. The word will examine your heart. The spirit will convict you and draw you back to Jesus. Even when you go through the valleys, you can be sure he's there. Well, each week I've been giving you a little assignment. And the goal is to Put these principles of the 23rd Psalm into practice. The goal is to get you to, to think more often, all day long if possible, to think about God being with you throughout the day, to recognize his presence, to appreciate his blessings, and to trust him more and more for all your needs. So here's your assignment for this week. You guessed it. Memorize verse 4. Say it along with the other three verses. Every morning when you get up, every night before you go to bed, during the day when you think about it, go ahead and, you know, practice it. Get it in you. Get it in you. And then here's the other thing. Get personal with God. I mean, really get in there with him. I want you to latch on to this phrase. You are with me. Just say that over and over. You're with me, God. You're with me. Let that get inside of you. That means that, that uh, maybe through this week, you could possibly remind yourself over a hundred times that God is with you, that God is literally with you. That ought to do something to your life if you're confident of that. It means that, that uh, when you go through those valleys, especially when you go through the valleys, you'll be reminded that God is with you. There's no need to fear. His rod and staff are guiding you, correcting you. And you can know that God is with you and his presence will help melt away those fears. They'll go away when you turn toward the light. You'll find comfort in his word. 
We find comfort in his Holy Spirit. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. As he leads you through the valley into higher ground, be aware of his presence. Let's pray. Great Shepherd, we thank you that you've given us this tremendous word picture in Psalm 23. That we really aren't in need like we think we are because we have you. Thank you, God, for helping us to know that you provide rest and peace for us as you take us into these green valleys and places of still water. Thank you, God, that you lead us in paths of righteousness, and it's all for your glory, for your name's sake. And thank you, God, that your word and your spirit help us all the time. Never leave us. We want to know you more, Jesus. We want to know you more as the great shepherd. So thank you for working in our hearts. Thank you for changing us to be more like you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.